Welcome to Homegirl Nation. I'm your host, Bridget Trong. In our second installment, we are joined by the cast of the Audible original Mistletoe Murders 2. Now this time, I'm having a conversation with the iconic Jean Yoon. She is someone I've referred to as a real trailblazer because in the past four decades, Jean has broken barriers in a predominantly white industry, and that is entertainment. And she has managed to adapt and grow over her long career in showbiz. Her journey began in the early 1980s when she started in theater. And since then, she's become well-known for her role as a ma in the popular CBC series, Kim's Convenience. Now she's making her mark in audiobooks by joining the cast of the Canadian Audible original production of Mistletoe Murders 2, stepping into the role of Sue, the owner of a local diner and coffee shop where all the gossip goes down. Let's get cozy and meet Jean. Jean, I can't tell you how excited I've been to chat with you. <laughs> I'm such a big fan of your work. I'm such a big fan for what you stand for. So this is a real treat. Thank you for your oh, thanks. And thanks for having me. Yeah. Of nice course. To- of yeah. course. But I've been following your career and I know that your career started in theater in the 80s. And mm-hmm. I mean, now you're part of an Audible series. We've come a long way in this industry, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. I've survived. I think that was the... um that was the biggest thing. What was really clear to me through the 80s and 90s is that the biggest challenge would be to survive. I saw a lot of people, honestly, who were mm-hmm. more talented than me, people of color, not just Asian, but a lot of Asians, who got to a point where they went, I'm out, right? Yeah. I mean, the best actors are super smart and just as the best in any field are. And in our industry, in the in the Asian performance industry here in Canada, we lost a lot of our best people. Why is because that? They, they, well, they left. They went to banking. They went to teaching. The ones that could and that were, you know, confident enough went south like like uh, like Sandra Oh. But yeah. So survival. Survival, survival of the fittest. It's the name so, of the game. So how and why did you keep your skin in the game? Um, I think I grew up here in Toronto in, in North York at a time when there were so few Asians that I was really confused about who I was, why I was here, why, why was I being subjected to these taunts? Like, what did it mean? So I was trying to figure out really early on sort of what accidents of history brought me to where I was and trying to understand, honestly, my mom, because my mother's behavior was so incomprehensible to me as a, as a girl who'd grown up in North America in a, in a, in a, in a very uh, overtly feminist age, right? Like mm. my generation, we, we, we came into the world at the crest of uh, feminist idealism. Mm-hmm. And Korean culture is, for my mother's generation particularly, so deeply rooted in Confucianism where men are prioritized over women and women are really expected to behave in a certain way. And, and from a mother's perspective, honestly, if you don't teach your daughter how to be a, you know, yeah, like a, a good girl, they're going to get in trouble. Their life will go off the tracks and you don't know what's going to happen. Right. So, yeah, it, it, I think that was what, and I just loved performing. I love being on stage. When I was really young, I was a c- competitive gymnast. I really enjoyed using my body. I love to sing. And I just kept going. I mean, there were lots and lots of detours. I, I, I quit theater 
uh, in frustration. I went to China. I taught English. I came back. I learned Mandarin. I went back to China in, uh, to a different part of the, of, the, of the country. I came back, and I was really actually quite surprised to find myself back in theater. But at that point, when I came back, I was uh, working in advocacy. I came mm-hmm. back. I ended up in a job where I thought <clears throat> I had the great privilege to develop programming and take initiatives to help people who had been in the same situation as me. Like, basically, I thought of myself as having quit. And I was going to do what I can to make sure that other people didn't have to quit. I want to go back to those cultural barriers that you faced, though, because for a lot of people, I'm assuming back then, wanting a career like the one that you you have now and, and so rightfully earned, those cultural barriers are s- such a deterrent, so d- distracting that... It just quitting would seem to have been a no brainer. So like just going back to my question before for you, like, was it your upbringing and how tough your mother was that kept you in the game? I think I think the thing to keep in mind is that my parents were really terrified of me pursuing performance and were yeah, yeah, and were really um, at there were fights, like full out fights. And the it was the turning point for me was when I I wrote a um, I wrote, performed, and produced um, a, a little fringe show in the late 90s called Sliding for Home and Borders, which was about my going to Korea for the first time. It was an identity play. And then also the second piece was about being in China. And my mother came, and it was the first time she understood why I was an artist. Mm. She came, and she was so proud of me. And she came to every performance and brought another friend. Wow. So, but until that point, you know, it was, it was a real struggle. (laughs) There's actually, (laughs) there's actually one time I was, I was up, uh, I was in the running for a show. It was in the eighties. It was a Prairie theater exchange show. And one of, you know, it was a really good role for a young Asian woman. It was about the internment. And I, not mm. Japanese, but they, you know, there weren't that many options. I got a call back. I was living at home. My mother got the call and she, she picked it up and she went, oh, oh, yeah. Jeannie doesn't do that anymore. She's going to school. Boom. Oh, oh no. I, Mom. I know. I didn't find out until almost three weeks later when the only other person who got a call back called me to ask, how did it go? When is your call back? Blah, 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 blah. They went, what? And I managed to rush in and get a callback, like to do a callback, but I was so panicked. And so, wow. yeah, so like parental obstruction is, is one thing. In terms of systemic barriers in this world, why did I keep going? You know, I, I think when I came back from China the second time, it was like 1991, and I worked at Theatre Ontario doing cultural advocacy. Mm-hmm. And while I was doing that cultural advocacy, I met so many incredible people, just incredible artists. Wayson Choi, the uh, novelist, at, at that time he was he called <laughs> it he was a uh, president of Cahoots Theater Projects, which was actually at that time bankrupt, and we you know it, it needed to be revived. And um, Beverly Yap. And I got to know people like Brenda Camino better and Sandy Ross, people for whom the the um the creation of theater 
or any any creative endeavor, stories, writing, film, all of that was driven by a pure passion for our own Asian Canadian cultural understanding. It's all tied up with that. And it was incredibly up, uplifting time. Mm-hmm. There was a, that it, it was really a, a beautiful, in my, in my life, I mean, it's still, still there, I think. It's just, I, but we were all so young and hopeful. And a lot of the artists in that period that I got really got close to have done extremely well. And, and I'm really proud of us all. And I think that's sort of what Kate kept me going because, you know, for any project, a performance project, it requires so many people over such a long period of time, mm-hmm. right? You, you may only see one person on stage, but even just immediately, there's a stage manager, a director, a writer, costume designers, set designers, technicians, a uh, front of house. But, you know, the truth is that even before you get to that moment, there are so many other people involved who actors who are involved in, in the workshop, other directors, other writers who bring their input, funding bodies, artists on the juries that give you the money to support it. It's a big, it's a, it's a huge community effort. And to see the fruit of that kind of effort, uh, Blossom is so says, Oh yeah. For a lot of the, the, the hardship. I bet I was going to say, it's probably that sense of community that Mm -hmm. kept it going because I know for me, I've been in the creative space for about 15 years now and I started in broadcast. And I produce in film as well, but it it's tough. The ebbs and flows of this industry and how fast it evolves is challenging. And for me, it's that sense of community that you find in this industry that I don't think you can find anywhere else. People are in it for the same passionate reason, and it's to bring one story to life in their own way. But collectively, it all just comes together, in a sense, beautifully. Um, but yeah, it's the sense of community, I would say, is a big thing mm-hmm. for us. It's a community where a lot of people are really, really clear about their intention, that their, that their art is is somehow one small part of it, uh, it like a, a part of it underneath it is driven by some social justice, whether it's feminist justice or cultural justice. And that makes a difference because if you're making, if you're making um, a cultural product for attention, it stops being art, right? But we're talking about, Very true. we're talking about, that that's that, that's why that the heart of something has to be alive. Yeah, so it is. It's so great. So, what were your intentions in joining Mistletoe Murders too? This is a departure from what we're used to seeing or hearing from you. What was the intention in joining this team? Well, it was it's fun, right? I mean, there's there's things you can do with voice and with audio that are really just fun. If this is the kind of work that we would in the past, see on our public radio, right? CBC radio dramas. I grew up with them, but that whole department is gone now. It's sad. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's an accident that the 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 one producer that I, uh, Greg Sinclair, he was a producer of radio drama before that whole department was shut down. And Christmas time, we all want comfort stories. And it's so much better when they are homegrown, right? Totally. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You're surra- and, and like this cast, brilliant Canadian talents. And of course, we have Canadian talents at the helm. It must have been really cool to actually have this homegrown production that mm-hmm. you can be a part of. Though, you know, when you're recording these things, you don't know who else is on the on the ticket. Yeah. I'm just know. I mean, I'm really finding out now like that Kevin Hansard's in it and, and uh, you know, Enrico's in it. I, I like 
I didn't know. It was like, so it's, it's, it's fun. Did you know joining like just prior to actually starting production? Did you know who would be involved? No way. Eh? Ah, so it's all a nice surprise at this point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just a nice surprise, which is great. great. What can you tell us about your character? Well, Sue, Sue runs the diner in the small town and, you know, where, where, the diner for, it is sort of the center of gossip and also the sort of comfort spot. So, but in season two, a crime occurs that directly affects Sue. And so this is more, for me, the performance is more about actually taking the character and seeing her moment of, 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 uh, honestly pain and then coming at, coming through it. Yeah. It was nice to have something emotionally meaty. Too, mm, right? Yeah. And on a different kind of platform too, which is pretty yeah. cool. I mean, we're seeing an evolution in the industry, you know, we're uh, different opportunities for actresses and actors. We got audio space, we have streaming, we have film, TV, we have theater still. And then, of course, in the past, I say since 2017, with the release of Crazy Rich Asians, we're seeing more opportunities mm-hmm. for Asian actors. I'm not in it like you are. So optically, that's what it appears to be like. But from your perspective and your opinions, Jean, do you think, are you optimistic? about the future uh, for BIPOC talents and talents across age demographics? For BIPOC talent across the board, yes, optimistic, because the numbers are on our side in North America. I mean, we're talking about in a North American context. Yeah, uh, it's simply unavoidable because the more people you have in a group, uh, the more audience there is for those stories but also the more artists there are to tell those stories so that's that's the sort of prevailing wind um it's hard for me to tell because i i i you know i don't have the same sort of gauge temperature gauge as some other artists do because honestly that there there are more roles for older women now than there were 20 years ago there's no doubt about it you actually see you know at the high end of the spectrum quite a lot of fabulous women artists whose careers would have ended in their 40s or 50s if if they had been born 30 years earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So, but it, it's still there. There still isn't quite as much work for older women as there are for the, for the younger, younger artists. But um, overall, yeah, it's, it's definitely better. I mean, like when I started, there was really no principal work for uh, Asian artists here in Canada for on screen. I actually started call, calling in to to book the appointment that my auditions, and because I was just representing myself, and it, these were sort of non union shows on campus, sort of semi professional ones. And I would say, uh, "I'm Asian. Is that a problem?" That's what and, you would say to them. Uh huh. I said because I, I don't want to come about. in and waste my time or yours either. Yeah. There were two kinds of responses. The first was this deathly embarrassed silence, which and at which I would, you know, eventually say, "Okay, I understand. There's no need for me to come in. Bang, hang up. And then the other was like, oh, no, absolutely. You should come in. And, you know, but those responses were fewer. Uh, Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was it was a it was a was not a great time to start out as an actor of color. I will say on behalf of the actors out there of color, talents like myself in media of color, I'm so glad you stuck in the game because we needed, like, I know you went through all the hardship that we will never have to go through, hopefully, but thank you. Thank you for sticking it out. 
And and I have to thank, uh, there's a whole other uh, generation before me who most most people will never know who had it even mm. harder. Harder, harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, when I started out, there was a group called Can Asian Artist Group and everyone in that that group, oh boy, they really worked uphill just even to get money together for a few productions, right? Yeah, um, just um, having someone hear them out. Just further idea. That's probably, yeah, an uphill battle at that point. Yeah. Well, I'm running low on time with you, but the holidays are coming up. Mm-hmm. And Miss Toll Murders, obviously, with a holiday backdrop. What do the holidays look like for Jean? Me? Yeah. Uh, for Christmas, it, it for me, it's just getting together with family. I'll have my family here. We don't do turkey. We don't like turkey. Do you like turkey? I love turkey. It's my favorite like turkey? protein. Is it okay. the tryptophan that you don't like? The like the burnout after? It's the size of the bird. It's just it, I don't, it's aggressive, and I don't like it. <laughs> you know, you know what they do now though at certain grocery stores is that they just give you the the breast, the turkey breast, so you don't have to cook a full thing. Yeah, the, the, I think that the point of turkey is is the size of the bird. Honestly, it's like, but do, we, are do, you, we do prime rib or fish. Are we you excited? Our whole family doesn't like turkey. Oh, okay, that's fair. Well, then if it's across the board. Do you yeah. find yourselves every year kind of mixing in Korean staples as well? Because I'm Chinese and we yeah. always have like equal parts, your traditional stuff, and then trays of chow mein, chicken wings, spring rolls. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to have a buffet. We, we, when my family dinners, we, there's always kimchi on the table and a bunch of Korean side dishes because it can be mixed and matched, but also because like we, we just, the, 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 if there's no kimchi on the table, it's not a meal. It's not. It's not a meal. It's a snack. It's a. I don't know what it is, but it's not a meal, right? So <laughs> the holidays always call for. Yes. Yeah. Jean, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on this. Oh, event. thank you for and, and 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 great good luck with your podcast. Thank you very very much. Okay. Really I can't wait you. till we meet in, in person. I would love. Actually, I have met you once. This was years ago um, yeah. at the Real Asian Film Festival red carpet. Yeah. And it was the first season of your show. So it was brand spanking new and yeah. you were just the loveliest. Oh, I was completely overwhelmed. It's all a blur to me now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. You were like, everyone was grabbing you right, left and center. So, but uh, yeah, we had a moment on the red carpet and I let's get together sometime and just, I you know, have that. a chat chat. I am impatiently waiting for that date to happen. But for now, Mistletoe Murders 2 is available to stream on Audible. Thank you so much for dropping by for this homegirl discussion. You know the doors always open.